welcome everyone. We're going to do five things. We're going to look at. We're going to think about what it means to belong to the, the local church, Christ City Church, by thinking about what it means to belong, what it did mean to belong to the New Testament church. And as such, we're therefore going to think about what it means for church to be a family, because that seems to be the dominant metaphor for the church in the New Testament. And in a family, there's benefits, there's responsibilities. And we're going to think of that as, what does that mean for us? And it's kind of our equivalent to church membership. We're going to think about connect, which we already do, belong, which we're now going to start to do, and renew, which we've just done for the first time, and how they work together. And we're going to consider the place of baptism and communion in Jesus' global church, and therefore this expression of the global church. And there'll be time for Q&A. And we're still learning, so if you have feedback both on belong, but also on stuff we're talking about here, we're welcome that feedback because we're on a, you know, it's our first time of doing it. So without any further ado, <laughs> if you could pray for us, please. Hey God, we uh, thank you for this time together. Um, thank you for your church, Lord, and for your your um, your commitment to it and your passion for it, and that you uh, you uh, long for us to be a family. And I and I pray that you help us to uh, to learn, open our hearts to um, to what we're going to hear today and help us to, to know what it is or to be together uh, on, uh, on this amazing mission for you, Lord. Mm. Amen. Amen. <coughs> do follow along. It's all in your booklet and you might want to take notes. Um, so, let's think about Connect. I think everyone's done Connect, but if you haven't done Connect, don't worry and just do it the next time it comes up if you, if you, if, you know, that suits. Um, but what do we learn at Connect when you join the church as in when you first come along? First of all, we learnt about our identity that's given us in Jesus. And we thought about that as what it meant to be the people of God from Genesis through to Exodus, through the Old Testament, through to the New Testament. And uh, culminating in this amazing verse that sort of summarises what it is to be the people of God from all the scriptures. Uh, It's in your handout, but this is our identity through grace. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is who we are together as God's people, and this is our role and our purpose in the world. And we unpack that, and it's, it's rich, that passage. We then thought about, in light of that, and this whole story of being God's people in the scriptures, our vision, which is to make a positive impact on the city of Dublin, spiritually, culturally, and socially. Spiritually means we really believe the gospel, is the power of salvation for those who believe. And we, believe that, we really believe that those who don't know the gospel and haven't res- responded through repentance and faith are lost. And so we have a job as ambassadors of Christ to share that gospel and see people come to know him forever. Culturally, we want to make a difference as his ambassadors in everyday life, in our workplace, in our communities, in our sports clubs, in our homes, representing our king in all areas that we might make a difference to the culture we live in. Salt and light. As Jesus said. And socially we might care for those that are less off, well off and less fortunate and the, the downbeaten and the trodden and the orphans and widows of our day. So that's our vision. And then we looked at it's based again on this great story of God, of what it means to be God's people, about our values, which are mission, discipleship, community and leadership. Mission, and we sort of have this new slogan, to win the city evangelistically through our words. And to serve the city practically through our deeds. That's our mission, our holistic mission to the city. Community, to to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Discipleship, 
to be shaped by God's word increasingly that we might look more like Jesus day by day. That we're growing into disciples of him and increasingly so. And leadership that we might raise people up and train people uh, so that we can multiply the work. And we even brought into Connect this idea of belong. If you've been to Connect, we talk about three places to belong. Sundays, city groups and life groups. Sundays are the place where we have our corporate gathering and and, and teaching and worship. And, and life groups are those intentional discipleship groups, whether peer-to-peer or with someone leading. But we actually say at Belong uh, Connect that the primary way to belong to the church is through city groups. That's where you're cared for and known and grow in a small group and can reach out to the city too. So that's the sort of recap of Connect. So today, if we look at page two there, we're going to think about Connect and Belong and how they fit together. Think of it like this. If Connect is where you join the church, or you join in is probably a better phrase, and it's a bit looser, you connect as much as you want or as little as you want, you're just connecting. That's fine. Getting used to the church, figuring it out. Belong is where you take the next step of that journey and take responsibility for the church and allow the church to take responsibility for you. So connect, you just, I'm connecting in, I'm joining in as much as I want and belong. I'm taking ownership and I realise the church is taking ownership for me. Now we're going to think a lot about church as a family, but if you think of a family, connect is where you can invite it to a dinner that others are putting on and you enjoy the great food and the company and all of that means to be part of a home that's eating food together. Belong is where you cook, we cook the dinner together and invite others in. We're taking ownership. This is our family and we're saying to others, come and join it, but I'm part of the cook cooking team and I'm part of the whatever so that's the difference do we just receive dinner from others or are we cooking dinner for others that's the difference of a connect mentality and a belong neither is right and wrong it's just that next stage of the journey so it's uh it's about benefits and responsibilities so at connect you receive the benefits but you might go I don't want to take any responsibility that's fine and belong is where you go I receive all these wonderful benefits and I'm taking responsibility for the family. Hence why it's our equivalent of church membership. So, to help us get a bit of a feel for what it meant to belong to the church family in the first century, get out your phone, uh, which you won't hear very often uh, from someone speaking in church, and Google, if you've done our city group leaders training, you'll have done this, Google the 59 one and others. The first page you'll find is gracefree.org. If you click on it, the next page you'll find is staticsquarespace.com. So the 59 one another's. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Uh, love one another. 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 Be to, to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then just as Christ. Accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Each other. Have equal concern for each other. <coughs> greet, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. Or serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Keep patience bearing with one another, love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever differences you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spray one another on toward love and good deeds. <clears throat> Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Love one another. 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 So it's a powerful image uh, or a powerful insight into what it meant to be belong to the New Testament church. And uh, there's rich uh, of that idea, you know, rich in that analogy of being a family where we're one another uh, and we do all these kind of things for one another, submitting to one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another and all the rest. So we're going to unpack this a bit more by looking at two passages in John and in Acts. We're going to read them all out together, and then there's some questions to follow. So if you want to go, all of you, to page 2, to read out those verses from John on page 2. John 13, 12 to 14, 34 to 35. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. <coughs> Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So the three questions is, why was Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet so scandalous? What is the new command and what are the consequences of obedience? And how do we obey this command? What is the equivalent of foot washing today? Turn the page and we'll read Acts together. Acts 2, 38 to 37. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message, who accepted his message, were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' <coughs> teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So three questions. How did people join the church in the New Testament? Verses 38 to 41. What did it mean to belong to the New Testament church? Verses 42 to 45. And how did they meet in the New Testament church? And what were the results? 46 to 47. So 10 minutes. Uh, a bit of feedback from those two passages. So we'll start with the John one. Uh, why was Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet so scandalous? What did you guys discuss? It's so scandalous because of that, at that time the culture of the their feet is probably the dirtiest part of their body after traveling a long time wearing the sandals and everything. Um, so for Jesus to um, to take upon the position lowered in the servant to kind of go down and clean that part of the body was quite shocking for someone that they consider to be a lord and a teacher. That's right. And I think on top of that then, Lucas was saying, you know, it's just that that huge divide between, you know, understanding that he's God and yet he's he's here in the most intimate part of the body and yeah. cleans that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The holiest thing to exist, the holiest God, you know, <coughs> he is God who is dealing with the dirtiest parts of us who are so unholy. Thank yeah. you. Beautiful, yeah. Mm. And um, that sense of humility then, isn't it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, an, it's, a, it's an icky task. Mm. Do you know? It's really icky. And that teaches us something about real love. It's sort of personal and close. It's not a vendor relationship where you hand out something and keep your distance. You know, this is church family and you get close and it gets a bit icky at times and you have to go, oh, I wish I could just be sort of, you know, keep my distance. And that's not how this works. Scandalous. At the back group on my left, what is the new command and what are the consequences of obedience? And um, so the command that Jesus gives us among one another, um, we found it hard to use the word consequences, and we thought when we heard the word consequences, we'd be doing something wrong. So we maybe talked about the outcome of obedience as opposed to the consequences, as that Jesus, there was nothing that he wasn't willing to do in terms of that kind of just said, as I have loved you, so you must um, love one another. That Jesus was able, Jesus did all those things, and there was nothing that he was asking of his disciples that he wouldn't have done and he didn't do. Thank you. And that's kind of the sign of it. What we were saying about leaders that they're they're not just delegating to people who do the job that they can't do or don't want to do. They're actually yeah. willing to do all the jobs. And just, yeah. Because disciples can do them as well. Yeah, yeah. Super. So to love one another, he led by example. You know what? What about the outward effect of it all? What did you guys say about that? Well, ultimately. If we're going to love one another, then others will see that we are Jesus' disciples yeah. by our loving of one another. Yeah, very There's good. something that's a bit contagious about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, super. So Jesus says, by this will all the world know that you are my disciples. So if we love one another in a sense of uh, doing what Jesus has done and uh, he shows us, then uh, it says here very famously, then the world will know you're my disciples. So it's an evangelistic it's an evangelistic tool. It's, an evan- it's Jesus' evangelistic method to love one another. And as that happens, the world sits up and notices. Final question then. How do we obey this command? What is the equivalent of foot washing today? Uh, there was kind of two sides. We had an example or a few. We may have mentioned wiping of bums or at least <laughs> having the mindset to the point where you could look at somebody and think to yourself, if that needed to be done, I'd be willing to do it. Thank you. But that gets difficult when the person you're thinking of is maybe a stranger or an enemy or someone who's close to you and also an enemy because a lot of hurt and it's like, well, would I still be willing really to lay down and serve the person who's hurt me this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and we also uh, had a mention of talking about fostering as one of those jobs where 
it's really difficult. It can be seen, or the people that are being followed can be undesirable. They're a risk, it's scary, all this kind of stuff. But mm. laying down and choosing to do that is just one of the examples we thought of, which like that's really important and terrifying when I think about it. But um, if that's not washing feet, I don't know what that is. Don't know what Great is. example, mm. yeah, thank you. So, simple acts uh, of service, nothing being beneath anyone. If our Lord and Master will wash the feet, no jobs beneath me. Uh, unseen and, and glamorous, kind of what you were saying there, Lucas. Could be texting someone to say you're praying for them. Could be organising a lift to city group. No one sees it. It's probably a bit of a pain for you. But it's washing feet, welcoming you tomorrow Sunday, and we could keep going into much more uh, life-giving ones as well, adopting and all, you know, or, or fostering. Taking the initiative to put others first. And then two other thoughts, maybe. It means that everyone is an equal in church if the lord and master washes feet tell me where the hierarchy is there isn't one you know we're all we're all in this together and everyone's an equal and everyone's more important than me in that sense um and then secondly and you mentioned this actually lucas the loving enemies one of the people's feet that jesus washed was called judas and who knows how many hours four hours five hours ten hours after this foot washing he was going to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew before he washed his feet, this was going to happen. Imagine washing your betrayer's feet. You know, church, belonging to a church as a family means people hurt you and you still wash their feet. Now you've really understood what it is to belong to the New Testament church, haven't you? Powerful. Acts chapter 2. How did people join the church in the New Testament? Um, so we said that he was in the church when they accepted the gospel, they repented for their sins, and they were baptized, and then they were filled with the Spirit. Um, that was That's fantastic. Accepted the message, received the gospel, repented, were baptized, and filled with the Spirit. So they were born again. They were new people by the Spirit, and they represented that new life through <laughs> baptism, and that whole process of receiving, repenting, being born again, and being baptized... Um, was the way that they became part of the New Testament church. You notice as well that phrase um, in verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with, the, with them. With, and pleaded, <laughs> pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In baptism, you say, I'm putting myself in an alternative community on earth. And I'm separating myself off from the community that's under judgment right now. Because they don't know Christ. And this is the corrupt generation and I'm going to love them and serve them. But I am definitely saying I belong to a different community on earth. And it's Jesus' community. So it's creating an alternative community on earth. And baptism is the way you mark that out. And so verse 41, those who accepted the message were baptized. And about 3,000, 3, notice this phrase, were added to their number. That's quite a key phrase. Um, we'll come back to that. Good. What did it mean to belong to the New Testament church? Verses 42 to 45. So we said a few things. So there was proper and genuine devotion mm. to, the, to teaching and to fellowship and to communion together. Um, they met regularly, it says every day. There was sharing and caring of goods, of money, yeah. uh, of food. They ate together. Um, but they did, and but all they did, they did with a glad and sincere heart. 
Um, so there wasn't that uh, we have to do this or like a kind of begrudging attitude towards all they seem to do. Um, so that were all signs. They saw signs and wonders, and yeah, they were part of I guess part of growth. Yeah. They were you know there's constantly people being added to their number. It wasn't just a stagnant same group every day. It obviously increased and increased. So. Very good. Yeah, super. And just to pick up on a few of those, devotion, and you kind of mentioned this, Andrew, that sense of, it's not a duty. This is something that they would be glad to do with great devotion, like you would a sport or a loved one or something. You devote yourself to this. And the, the richness of that, to scriptures, to community, to breaking a bread, which is a shorthand for communion and sharing food together, to worship, uh, willingly and joyfully uh, sharing possessions and all the rest. Just a marvellous picture of early church life. How did they meet in the New Testament and what the results? Um, so they met not just in church on Sundays, but they were part of each other's day-to-day lives. Um, outside of church, we saw that really was like the church wasn't just in a building, it was them in their homes mm. when they were eating meals. Um, and now we talk about their sincere hearts. So it wasn't just that they were meeting together like casually and they weren't just complaining about like the weather. But it was there of meeting sincerely, like with intention um, and with like joy, and with the fruit of the spirit were really evident in their interactions and their real estate today. Super, thank you. Yeah, so there's that corporate gathering in the temple, there's the local, small, organic, everyday gatherings in the home, there's loads of breaking of bread, which is again that shorthand for they had a meal and then they remembered the Lord together through the communion meal. Um, you, you picked this up, there was sincerity of heart. Again, this wasn't a religious thing, this wasn't a tick box thing, this wasn't a duty and obligation. There was gladness and sincere hearts. There was growth, the Lord added to their number daily, those being saved. And so see that phrase twice in the passage, verse 41 and uh, verse 47. The Lord added to their number. They had a number. There was 3,000 of them. They could count them. And then they grew a bit more and they could count them. In other words, this alternative community that was being shaped that was separate from the community of the world was numbered and distinct and identified uh, which you can obviously see where we're going with this idea of who is part of this community is a vital question so a couple of uh, big takeaways thanks guys great discussions two big ideas uh moving on to page four that i want to pick up on the first idea here is, there, so what do it mean to belong to the New Testament church, even just from these two passages, is this committed versus consuming idea. We live in a culture in the West, and Western culture is basically built on this idea of consumerism. Take as much as you want for as long as you want, for the price that you want. If you get a better offer, take it. Do you know, you're the center of this world, and, and it doesn't matter about anything else. You know, So take the perks and don't experience limitations. Receive the benefits and don't take responsibility. You're free to leave at any point and take a better offer. You know, that kind of thing. But the scriptures, as we see here, encourage us in committed relationships. Where the needs of the individual are placed alongside the needs of the community and not necessarily placed above it. In a consumer relationship, the needs of the individual are everything. In a committed relationship, the needs of the community are as important as the needs of the individual. Both are considered together. And uh, these committed relationships, they, they don't break up easily. They survive ups and downs of emotions and circumstance. They usually require forgiveness. And they're the people you invite to your birthday party and your wedding and all those important occasions because these people matter to you. They're not just acquaintances. What's this got to do with belonging to the church? 
well, the church is described as a family, a body, a kingdom of priests. Uh, well, who are this family? Who are the priests in the kingdom? Who is the body members with me? Who has been added to the number that I can understand who I'm supposed to be loving like Christ loved the church and all the rest? So belonging is take, identifying yourself with the church and saying, I'm taking responsibility for this church and the, I'm going to allow this church to take responsibility for me. So that brings us on to this idea of benefits and responsibilities. A healthy family should provide all kinds of wonderful things. Now, many of us don't, haven't come from healthy families and we haven't had all these things, but we all know what a healthy family should look like. And it should provide love and care and food and purpose and growth into maturity. It should stick with us when we go for a moody teenage patch and say, no, we're still family. Uh, it should provide nurture and guidance. It should provide discipline appropriately. A healthy family provides all kinds of wonderful things. And hence, when you're invited to a healthy family's home for dinner, you kind of taste it and you go, that's just, I feel safe. And, and we as a church are saying, how do we become those who invite others in? And we form that sense of family together. And those are that idea of the turbulent days of the teenage days where we help each other into maturity when we have our turbulent, moody, immature days, which we do. We'll all have them. And we need one another for those days. So sharing the commitment to make sure our family is healthy, not dysfunctional. So what are these commitments and benefits? Again, we're looking at page four now. Let me suggest five. And uh, there's more you could say. The first one is loving shepherding. So, particularly through participating in city groups, the church is a place where you're cared for and you're looked after, and particularly when you're in need. And so that the church leaders right now, the leadership team, and in time, eldership, uh, the elders, know who God, that God has called them to shepherd and look after. So, careful, uh, loving shepherding. Secondly, personal growth. Belonging to the church is a way of saying, I want to grow with you, a local body of Christians. So I'm giving you permission and you're giving me permission to speak into each other's lives the word of God that we might become more like Jesus. It's the giving and receiving of God's word in community that we might fully and freely live for Christ. Personal growth. A caring community. The early church epitomizes with the sharing of possessions with those that were in need. And it epitomizes this idea of being united across all earthly divides, economic, gender, racial, cultural, geographic. They were united in Jesus and therefore united in mission, in love, in worship, in purity and in mind. Dublin, even this room here today, we have a fantastic opportunity to say the church is a place where all earthly divides are overcoming Christ. And where everyone is equal in Jesus. All nations, all backgrounds, all social status. You're all one in Christ. Now we know who belongs to the church and who's committed to the vision and the values and this mutual submission. We can make strategic decisions about where we live, how to use our time, bits of the city we can invest in, the poor and the need that we could together care for. Should we live together in homes? Should we buy homes together, rent homes together? We know who, how we can build long-term friends where we can have life-giving support and friendship uh, in our lives. And you see, it's only as we know who are committed to us that we have a strength of being a family that we can keep inviting new people into the family. If the church is just a revolving door where you're constantly saying hello to new people but you don't really make any sense of brother and sister love together, then it's really exhausting and you become disillusioned quite quickly. Because it always just feels like new people you're introducing yourself to and all the rest. 
Whereas if you have a sense of we're the family and together we're, we're welcoming, then it's sustainable for the long term. And that's really key. So by being a committed, caring community together, we can continue to be a missional, hospitable, welcoming community together. You need the two um, to, to make it viable for the long term. So, and this is particularly important as Dublin is a tale of two cities. And I've started using this teaching and language in a few places now. So Dublin has a transient city full of residents who come and go, for university, for jobs, for visas, for all kinds of reasons. They come, they get what they want from the city, they stay for as long as they want and go. And that's fine, God bless them. And then Dublin's full of people that have made a home here. They're either from Dublin or they've moved to Dublin, whether Irish or non-Irish. Dublin's now their home and they're, they're long-termers. And to ignore one of the two cities, the transient residents or the long-term resident, is to, not, is to miss part of a, a key aspect of the city of Dublin that God is calling us to reach. So as of three days ago, the church had been going seven years, 14th of October 2014. I would love it, and, and we, I think we've done well at reaching short-term residents, by God's grace. That's kind of where we've ended up. It'd be great in seven years in 2028, none of you have thought about that date. <laughs> that we would look and feel and sound different because we would, hadn't stopped reaching the short-term residents but got better at reaching the long-term residents had bedded our lives into the local community in a deeper way we want to reach the whole city so we've got to reach both cities how? by being a caring committed community we can continue to have the strength to go out which leads us to effective mission in the book of Acts the main way of doing mission was through the oikos the household, this web of relationships that you are a part of and you stood as a believer and other believers are part of that, but there were non-believers part of that as well. In a Greco-Roman household, uh, an oikos had several generations of the same family. It had servants, family, friends, business associates. An oikos is this web of relationships, relatives, neighbours, co-workers, people who have hobbies with you or just plain friends. In oikos, your life is under observation by those who don't believe. Your life is an attractor and evidence of the truth of the faith. People should get a good view of how Christianity works from looking at your life. The other person is in the driver's seat. They get to raise questions and determine the speed of the process. And the humbling nature of the gospel leads us to approach people without superiority and with deep respect, even if they disagree or demonize us. Being an intentional community enables us to be effective in mission because people taste and see, as Jesus said, the love you have for one another. Who, whose disciples are you? We get to talk about Jesus. And again, city groups then become not just caring discipleship groups, but missional communities. And then finally, careful church discipline. We're going to think a bit more about this at the end of our session today. But we're also called to be a holy people, a set-apart people, a distinct people. That's part of what baptism means. You declare yourself to be part of God's people and you're inviting correction and discipleship. Which means if I'm living a life that doesn't obey what God wants and is not living according to Jesus' way of life, I expect brothers and sisters to speak the truth in love to me that I might live fully and freely for him. People to come alongside me with God's word and support me through repentance and faith to find freedom in Jesus in all areas of life. We'll think about that in a minute. So to summarise, church is a family. It's a place of security, belonging, love, care, guidance, support, help to maturity, food and purpose. So belonging to the church is sharing the commitment to make this a healthy, not a dysfunctional family. How do you join the family? How do you remain in the family? Baptism and communion. Thank you. Baptism and communion.
We see in Acts chapter 2 and other passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, that baptism is central to your membership of the global church, God's people, and therefore membership of your local church community. In baptism, all your loyalties and identities dissolve in the water and are replaced with new allegiances to Christ and his people. Paul in Ephesians 4 says there is one body. Why? Because there's one baptism. In baptism, it's not simply the candidate declaring their promises to God. I want to follow Christ. It's the church declaring God's promises to them. You are forgiven and adopted and added to God's people now and forever. Uh, Tim Chester puts it like this in uh, page four. There are legal and practical reasons why many churches have formal membership lists. But you do not become a member of the church when your name is added to a list. The list is simply an administrative and legal convenience. You become a member of the church when you're baptised. So how do you join Christ's church? Well, Acts chapter 2, we saw it. You're baptised and you're numbered. You're added to the global church. And then whatever local expression you either get baptised in or then uh, you know, belong to later. So communion. If the waters of baptism are about union with Christ, the bread and the wine are about communion with Christ. If baptism is the way you join the church... Communion is the way you belong to the church. This means baptism goes before communion. You join before you belong. To use the analogy with marriage, baptism is the wedding day. Communion is the ongoing physical intimacy in marriage. Why does the Bible say you must get married before you have sex? It's because the commitment needs to be confirmed before you express love by becoming one flesh. In the same way, you cannot express belonging to the church in communion until you first join the church in baptism. So baptism and communion play a vital role in belonging and maintaining that sense of being and strengthening those ties with the church family. So to help us do that well, uh, page five here, we're going to start, uh, and we've just done it, you've seen, Renew, which is a moment in our church calendar over two Sundays where we think together about what it means to belong, not just to Christ, united with Christ, but we're also united to one another. And to strengthen those ties and to recommit ourselves to the mission and being God's people. And we're going to use the communion at the end of our services to take that moment to recommit ourselves. So, um, Tim Chester says this page six. Every Lord's Supper is a covenant renewal ceremony. But it might be helpful to have an annual communion service in which covenant renewal is the main focus. A chance to recommit the members of the church. We remember our covenant commitments, not just recalling that they exist, but recommitting ourselves to those commitments. So the covenant we enter is with Christ by his blood, Luke 22. We give our allegiance first to him, remembering he gave himself for us. But as we do, we don't just do it as individuals. We do it as a family, as a body, as one people. Um, and so at Renew, we want to do that thoughtfully. So we're going to think of three things in the church calendar. Connect. Every term where new people can connect in, belong. Every term where those that have done connect and probably now, you know, in city groups and are thinking, yes, this is my church, can belong and do what we're doing today. And then renew, where we renew together our sense of being one people. And we're not going to panic if the order is messed up, but that's the general rhythm of the church. Carry on reading. So think about what it means at renew. Uh, this is again Tim Chester. Think what commitment to Christ involves. A radical repudiation of sin, selfishness, self-reliance and pride. A commitment to look to Christ and Christ alone for salvation from sin and death. 
a commitment to find our ultimate identity and fulfillment in Christ, a commitment to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, a commitment to obey his every command, a commitment to extend his reign through the proclamation of the gospel. And think too what commitment to Christ's people involves. A commitment to attend regularly, a commitment to pray faithfully, a commitment to serve fully, a commitment to give sacrificially, a commitment to participate in the church's mission, a commitment to disciple others, to be discipled, and if necessary, to be disciplined. It is not something to be done lightly. There should be a weight to, to what takes place. These are the commitments we make to Christ, and these are the commitments we make to one another. So really helpful thoughts about the meaning of communion and this idea of doing it once a year in that kind of a way just to remind ourselves now it's really important because we could misunderstand that this is all only by grace um what does baptism tell us that we're forgiven through the water what does the bread and wine tell us that we're forgiven through the blood of christ and so 1 john four nineteen says we love because he first loved us we don't do these things to get God to love us or to make sure we're in with the church. We're in with God and we're in with the church through Christ as we're included in him. But as he, as he's loved us, we respond by loving uh, him and one another. And the book of Ephesians is so helpful because um, in chapter two, it has these famous verses for it's by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So we have this new identity as new people in Christ, alive in Christ, and a new together, you know, a new, a new family together. The dividing wall of hostilities broken down. Ephesians two, all through faith, that and and God's grace in Christ, and so chapters one to three is actually what God has done in Christ to save us and make us a new family, and then and then Ephesians four to six is now what does it mean to respond to what God has done, and how do we live out of this new identity together. So just on page five there, this is what Paul says at the start of Ephesians 4, when he's just been outlining everything that Jesus has done that we receive by faith. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Notice you have received, past tense, you're now included in Christ and included in Christ's people. Therefore, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith. Look at this. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So we're not making these commitments to get right with God. We're not making these commitments to be included in the church. We're making these commitments to live out our new identity that we've received by grace uh, in Christ. And so therefore we can have glad and sincere hearts rather than dutiful and sort of burdened hearts, you know, to Acts chapter 2 as we make these commitments. And then final thing before we have more discussion. Church discipline. Page 7 if you want to follow along. Church discipline may seem strange to modern churchgoers and even wrong. People can quickly misunderstand what's going on and feel hurt and judged. Our natural reactions might be Shouldn't we just love everyone? Doesn't Jesus love and accept everyone? Are you claiming to be perfect? No, we're not claiming to be perfect. But we are claiming to be sincere. Acts chapter 2. Sincerity is key to being a family. So two key passages that help us are Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. 
Matthew 18 is the informal ongoing approach to church discipline, which we might call accountability within the life of the church community. When a brother or sister has sinned, we speak directly to them one to one. And hopefully that we win them over. If not, Jesus says, then you take one or two others. You know, on a, one or two or three witnesses may, uh, may, may something be established. If they still don't, then you take it to the whole church. So there's an ongoing, gradual, increasing process of a conversation to win your brother or sister over. 1 Corinthians 5 is the final formal step in serious cases where someone, after going through all those steps and a long journey of discussion, still remains unrepentant and claims to follow Christ. The hope and prayer is if we practice Matthew 18 well, we'll rarely, if ever, have to practice 1 Corinthians 5. When it comes to confronting people and exercising church discipline, there should be no rush. All evidence and extenuating circumstances should be considered. All sides of the story need to be understood and the person should be given the benefit of the doubt rather than treated suspiciously on the basis of gossip. Like the teenager example, we're here to care and help people and it might make, take time for people to figure different things out. And we're not going to panic about that. We're just going to walk with them as they grow into maturity and figure it out. So there's an ongoing conversation calling the person to fullness of life in Christ. Summarised by Paul in his letter to the Galatians. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So how is church discipline exercised? Well, if the way you show you belong to the church is through communion, the way church discipline is exercised is by withholding communion from someone that continues to live unrepentantly after you brought challenge to them. If required, we ask someone not to take communion because we can no longer affirm the person's profession of faith. If required, other measures can be put in place. It's important to remember the motive of church discipline is love. For the person, the church, the watching world and for Christ. And the aim of church discipline is restoration. That the person might live fully and freely and joyfully in obedience to Jesus. By exposing sin in a person's life we warn the believer of a greater judgment to come if they remain unrepentant. So church discipline is compassionate warning. Giving false assurance to someone is not a loving thing to do. Churches pursue discipline when they see a member taking the path towards death and none of their pleading and arm-waving causes the person to turn around. It's the device of last resort for bringing an individual to repentance. And it's not only good for the individual, it protects the church and presents a good witness for Christ. As As a cancer spreads quickly through a body, so sin, if it is not dealt with, can become a darkness that goes through not just the person's life, but the church, and therefore we lose our saltiness. Jesus said, you've got to stay salty. You've got to stay different. You've got to stay holy and distinct. Um, So we've got to preserve our attractive distinctiveness as God's people. Now, church discipline doesn't mean we become legalists who nitpick over every area of sin we see in others. We remember Jesus' teaching to first pick the plank out of our own eye before we go and help our brother and sister with their speck. Paul says we need to watch ourselves that we might be tempted. We also remember that Peter taught... That love covers over a multitude of sins. So this is for serious, obvious, unrepentant areas of sin in a person's life after a long conversation of helping them see what God's word says. So hopefully now we understand connect, we understand belong, we understand renew, we understand the importance and place of baptism and communion in the global church and any local expression.
We understand what it means to be a family that receives the benefit and takes responsibility. And we understand how church discipline can therefore be done lovingly and well within that context. So to finish, to what was new for you today? How do you feel about belonging to the church? Everything we discussed. What questions are you left with? What is your next step? Any follow-up questions from myself or one of the leadership team, don't hesitate to get in contact. So thanks for coming. It's just 